Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everyone? It's the Love the Jam. The podcast. I'm Chapon coming to you as always now with Lucas. Lucas Ann. How, how are you doing, Lucas? I'm good, Chap. How are you doing? I'm good. This is a busy day in the NBA today. <laughs> uh, what seemed like just an innocuous day uh, became a James Harden whirlwind and then also ended in a Clipper victory. We're going to talk about the James Harden trade uh, in some detail after we talk about this. Clippers win 111 to 106. Over the battered uh, New Orleans Pelicans uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, but this game was close because of uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander's cousin Nikhil Alexander Walker, who was uh, who was fantastic. Um, but it was uh, kind of a ho hum game. Uh, Lucas, I mean, it, it was a close game. The Clippers never really completely spread away. I mean, they were up eighteen early, but the game in the second half was always felt like single digits, um, and. You know, uh, Alexander Walker was 15 for 23 for 37 points. The rest of the Pelicans, relatively speaking, were fairly in check. But considering the Pelicans were without, you know, their best players today between uh, Lonzo Ball, uh, Eric Bledsoe, um, and Zion Williamson, are you concerned about this result at all, Lucas? No, I mean, I don't know what there is, like, if you're concerned about this result, it has to be because you're concerned about Nikhil Alexander Walker and, and look, great game. I'm, you know, good for him. Young guy who's had an inconsistent role on the team, having a breakout night as an injury fill in and kind of proving that he, I mean, and, and frankly, right. I think a lot of really smart Pelicans people who I know think that Alexander Walker should have a bigger and more consistent role on this team and should have had that last season as well. So it's, you know, maybe not surprising that he comes out and proves that he, you know, feeling it, like when you're in that situation, you're not really getting the consistent minutes, but you feel like you're good enough. You get this opportunity. He's going to come out tonight with something to prove. Uh, it probably is a little surprising, at least that he had 37 points on 15 of 23 shooting. Uh, this is a guy who for, you know, the flashes of talent that he's shown is like, a 37% career field goal shooter in the NBA on over 300 attempts. So like a a pretty decent volume, not a guy who's, you know, shot 40 times or something. He's played some minutes. He's not been an efficient offensive player at all. Um, He's not been an efficient three point shooter. He was five of eight tonight. So again, good for him for, for having a good night. He, 
definitely, I'm sure, made an impression on Stan Van Gundy. Definitely should be rewarded with more minutes going forward. But 30, I mean, it, you know, Mike Taylor, or remember when Mike Taylor had 35 points in the garden for the Clippers? Oh, yeah. Like second, <laughs> second round rookie point guard who had 35 points in the garden and and the Clippers won the game and they won like 19 games that year. And one of them was the Mike Taylor game. And then he didn't even make the team the next year and he never played in the NBA again. So I think Nicole Alexander Walker is better than Mike Taylor. I think he'll have an NBA career. And that's really not at all relevant to the discussion of, is it super concerning that the Clippers let this guy have a 37 point night? And the answer is no, because random nights happen during the course of the NBA season. And uh, the Clippers did their job on Brandon Ingram, who's the Pelicans actual best player, right? Uh, like, efficient high volume or like mid volume three point shooter lengthy gets to the rim creates for other six assists a game this year uh, for Brandon Ingram Shap, And, and by the way, uh, shooting 36% from three on six attempts a game, which is yeah, playing something great. We, we didn't think he would be able to do early in his career when he was kind of a low volume shooter, only take one or two a game. So, you know, the Clippers held Brandon Ingram in check 22 points on eight of 19 shooting three assists of four turnovers they did their job there. Uh, a random guy had a great night because he got a ton of touches with three important Pelican starters out. It's not a freakout moment. It's really not. Um, you know, it was the difference between the Clippers winning this game by five and 25, which is a little bit of a shame because you would have liked to really, you know, route the Pelicans missing three starters. But in the grand scheme of things, this is a pretty – um, from the Pelicans perspective, if you're a Pelicans fan or a Pelicans blogger, right, you are thrilled coming out of this game because it's a game where you're expecting nothing, missing three starters, and you get a great performance from one of your young second unit players. And you start thinking, man, this was a really a breakout game for this guy. So it's significant for the Pelicans. For the Clippers, it's a very pedestrian game. They came in against a shorthanded team. Uh, you know, the game always was closer than it felt in terms of even when it was like down to four in the second half. It never really, like the intensity never really ratcheted up for either team. And yeah, I mean, the, the Pelicans also made a ton of tough shots. Like, first of all, 106 points isn't a ton in the NBA in 2021. But I think in the second half, they were, I, I was looking at the shot charts when I was writing the recap for two and three, and they were nine of 15 on mid-range jumpers in the second half. Like, Sometimes you just got to shrug your shoulders, you know? Um, and I think that, that that's the kind of night for the Clippers tonight with Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Good for him. Shrug your shoulders. You won the game. doesn't really matter. Yeah, when you look up and down the Clippers roster, it feels like a fairly ho-hum box score. Just looking up and down, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George had 28 and 27 apiece. I'm pretty good shooting. Nine assists for Leonard, six assists uh, for George on a decent turnover. Two, only two and three for Leonard and George. Um, Serge Ibaka hit some shots today. Nicholas Batum continued to hit his three-pointers. He didn't hit a dagger corner three-pointer today, which was kind of surprising, but he was three of seven from the field, uh, three of seven from three as well. Zubat was encouraging, I thought. Nine and seven, uh, had a plus three, uh, was catching his, some of his passes and dunking. Um, but really, when you look up and down the box score, Lou Williams had the second half off. I didn't really hear if he had an injury or anything yeah, along he, those lines. He was, yeah. he was added to the injury report, actually, like just before tip-off. Uh, with, uh, I, I forget what, like a bruised hip, hip soreness. Mm -hmm. um, and then he, he came out earlier than in the second quarter, I think, than he had 
against Chicago, only playing those nine first half minutes uh, and then did not come back into the game. So I think it was, I think it was a hip thing, a little bit of hip discomfort. And just because of the way kind of that the rotation is going with him and Luke Kennard being staggered, I think it was, was pretty easy for Ty Lue to just kind of keep Luke Kennard in the game. And um, Patrick Beverly playing 37 minutes tonight probably was the other portion that picked up the slack. But I would expect that if Lou Williams, say, has to miss the Clippers next game, we will probably see the same rotation that we saw against the Chicago Bulls, but with Reggie Jackson playing in the Lou Williams role. And I think that that's, that's a good spot for Reggie Jackson. He's not anywhere near as good as Lou, but that's kind of the role that Reggie should be used in, um, I think, is filling in when one of those guards are out instead of trying to make the weird three-guard lineups work that we saw earlier in the season. I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go on in the pod, but really, it, do you, did you have much to feel from the Clippers side of this game as, you know, they shot well from three, they got to the line quite a bit more than the Pelicans today and uh, were pretty much comfortably ahead all game. The, is, is anything really pop out to you from this box score or just the general play? Well, I think, um, I mean, you mentioned the three-point shooting and we'll probably get into this more in the next segment because I, I kind of want to rant about this for a little bit. But the Clippers shot well because the Pelicans play an antiquated defense from 2005 where they pack the paint and leave shooters open. Like everyone is so wants to have these melt, right? It's like Clippers, Clippers Twitter, Clippers fans want to melt down about anything. Uh, if the Clippers win but don't shoot well, then, you know, they what's wrong with our offense? If the Clippers win but the other team shoots well, what's wrong with our defense? If the Clippers win while making a bunch of threes, we got bailed out by a hot shooting night. If the Clippers lose, God forbid, it's a total, you know, skies falling situation. I mean, the truth is the reason the Clippers were 18 to 37 from deep tonight is because the Pelicans pack the paint and dare you to kick out to open shooters. And so you get Patrick Beverly shooting a wide open corner three with 10 feet of space. Nick Batum shooting a wide open corner three with 10 feet of space. Marcus Morris, open shot on the wing. Paul George, open shot on the wing. Sergi Baca, open shot on the wing. I mean, they if, if you watch the ESPN broadcast, they showed a little bit of this at halftime. They put um, kind of these markers around the Clippers players while they were shooting their threes. And they're, I mean, guys who are better than 40% three-point shooters on average, stepping into threes with 15 feet of space between them and the closest defender. So yeah, they shot a lot of threes and yeah, they made half of them because the defense was terrible at stopping the three-point shot tonight. And I thought really the Clippers offense needs to shoot more threes. Their, their average this season, 15th in the league in terms of the amount, the percentage of their shots that come from deep, despite being top in the league in three-point efficiency, they should maximize that. They should be looking for more three-point shots. And it was in that second half where the offense started to stall was when they went away from it. I mean, in that, uh, third quarter, you know, the Clippers, the other thing, right? I said their average in terms of the amount of shots they take from three and first in the league in terms of efficiency from three, they are top in the league. They take the highest percentage of their shots from between 10 and 16 feet, 14% of their shots, and they only make 38.8% of those. So they're taking a ton of these bad mid-range shots that they're bricking instead of moving the ball, working the possession and getting open threes. When the Clippers are playing at their best is when we see them making those extra passes to shooters. So the problem is not that the Clippers are, are live by the three, die by the three. It's not that 
they get hot and then they get cold and the offense can't do anything. I mean, even when they were struggling in the third quarter, they were, I think, three of eight from three, which is 38%, which is a good outcome. The problem is they're not taking enough of them. They need to take more threes. Yep. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and talk a little bit more about the Los Angeles Clippers in this game. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right, and we're back. You know, a lot has been made of, like, the Clippers' ability to shoot the mid-range between Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, even, you know, Marcus Morris uh, being somebody who loves taking mid-range shots. Um, and I think Tyrone Lue has even gone on record about talking about the advantage of that, especially when it comes to crunch time, because that's essentially what you're going to get. Um, but then, but then, you know, we've had this mix of just pushing the idea of pushing the ball, uh, moving the ball, lots of ball movement and essentially getting open threes. And and it's kind of this interesting thing because Kawhi Leonard still is going to be a mid-range guy a lot of the, a lot of the time. I mean, he just had a, a career three-point night the other night, especially in that third quarter against the Bulls. But it's, a, it's kind of an interesting give and take. I mean, have you been feeling like the ball has been zipping as much as, as it did earlier in the season, Lucas? Uh, I think it comes and it goes. I think it comes and it goes. But I do think there are times, like, I thought in the first half tonight, the ball was zipping like it was earlier in the season. I mean, the Clippers were up 18 at halftime. Pretty much all of that happened in the last four minutes of the second quarter. But the offense was good throughout. It was the defensive rebounding that kind of stopped the Clippers from building a lead earlier. And I don't know. I mean, let me put it this way, Shap. If a guy shot 31.3% from three, would you want him taking that shot? Oh, no. 31% three-point shooter. <laughs> no. Okay. Kawhi Leonard shoots 47% from the mid-range. That is the same exact efficiency as someone who shoots 31.3% from deep. Right, right. So the question is, you know, is it great that Kawhi can make such a difficult shot at such a relatively high efficiency compared to other players taking that difficult shot? Yes. And it helps the Clippers when you get in a tough spot, when you're late in the shot clock, uh, when he's really feeling it and he's on fire and he's just, you know, getting shots off every time he touches the ball and, and there's nothing teams can do to stop him. It's great that he has that in his bag, but is that what you want to be going to? No, you want to get looks for the open three point shooters. Like the, the best things you can do on offense ranked pretty much are Get to the free throw line, number one. Get to the rim, number two. And obviously those two things are connected, right? And 
get open threes for good shooters, number three. And so, you know, the Clippers are, are in a position right now, like, yeah, some of these three-point shooters are not going to stay this hot all season long. Paul George is not going to shoot 50% from three all year. I'm sorry, guys, he's not. Nobody does. But he's going to shoot above 40% from three all year on 10 attempts a game. And so you want him to take more. I mean, you see these guys, guys have been torching the Clippers in the last week, right? Steph Curry, Zach Levine. Um, I mean, CJ McCollum, not against the Clippers, but in recent games, these guys are taking 16 threes a game. And they're having the most efficient offensive outings of anyone because they're great three-point shooters taking a ton of threes. So, you know, when you've got a guy like, you know, I I asked you the question, a 31% three-point shooter, because that's the equivalent to Kawhi's 47% mid-range. But like, let's put it this way, Paul George, even if we, even if we set aside, right, his 50% from three this year, because maybe that's, that's a little bit unfair. That's unsustainably hot, right? That's not great process, but just take his, you know, 41% from last year. Would you, a guy shooting 41% from three is getting you 1.2 points per possession compared to a guy shooting 47% from the mid range is getting you 0.94 points per possession. That is a huge increase in offensive efficiency. You should want to get that shot for Paul George as many times as you can get it, right? And Paul George isn't the only guy who shoots that well on the Clippers. Nick Batum shoots that well. Patrick Beverly is great on catch-and-shoot shots. Um, Marcus Morris is really good on catch-and-shoot shots. Sergi Baca is really good on catch-and-shoot shots. Kawhi Leonard, of course, can make that shot. Lou Williams is really good on catch-and-shoot shots. So it just seems to me like, you know, the, we shouldn't be asking – you know, why are the Clippers only winning when they're hot from deep? We should be asking, why are the Clippers only taking 37 of these shots against the Pelicans team that built their defense to allow as many threes as possible and is allowing a league-leading 44 threes per game? If the Clippers had taken seven extra threes, they probably win this game by, by 15 points. If on seven of those possessions that ended in mid-range jumpers, they worked their offense for a couple extra passes and found a three-point shooter. Yeah, I mean, um, hopefully this is stuff that Ty Lue is kind of working out within the offense. It's it's hard because I feel like you see Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi wants that mid-range shot. He's working to get that mid-range shot. He can get it whenever he wants. He's not really – I mean, rarely do you see him uh, coming off screens like he did against the Bulls, uh, feeling his spot to shoot threes, even though he's become a pretty good three-point shooter. I mean, he's still kind of working for those mid-range shots. I don't know if that's necessarily going to change with him. George, I think, is somebody who who might be more willing to take those threes, and he has. He's been great. But uh, it's just tough because I feel like Kawhi is always going to try to get those mid-range shots. If, if the ball sticks, he's going to, one, he's going to, one, try and get to the mid-range to facilitate, which he's been doing really great at. And two, he just wants to get to those spots to hit his shots there. So it's hard. I feel like uh, sometimes your team takes the uh, the framework of your best player. And, you know, that's why sometimes when Kawhi is out of the game, we feel like the ball zips a bit more. Um, but I know that that's where he wants to go with his jumpers. And even though it's not the most efficient shot, it's a shot that he can get. So it's, I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a give and take with, especially with somebody like Kawhi, George and uh, up and down the roster between Beverly, Batum, uh, Morris senior, more senior, maybe a little bit less. So uh, Canard, you know, you know, more senior likes to get in the mid range too, but the rest of those players. And Lou should... Williams loves that 
right, know, right. 18 foot going left shot. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And, and it's, it's hard to quantify with guys like Lou and Kawhi who are just adept at getting to those spots and hitting those shots versus like generalizing it with the way the league has gone and the efficiency of, of three pointers versus mid range shots. Um, and I think this Clipper team just with their, their players are always going to have, more mid-range shots than say, you know, the Rockets would have been during prime Mori ball years or things like that. So it's kind of a interesting. But, but I, I think, I mean, yeah, the Clippers aren't playing Mori ball. And I think first of all, like not that there's anything inherently wrong with Mori ball because that team went to seven games in the Western conference finals against the best basketball team ever. So, you know, it's not like it, what people act like, the Rockets not winning a championship was some utter repudiation of the way they played. And that's not really true. Um, but also like the Clippers don't play that way because like you said, they don't have a roster and they don't have individual players that are geared towards that style of basketball. But I'm not asking them to shoot, you know, two thirds of their shots from three, but maybe half, right. Uh, maybe, maybe a little more than half, maybe not, Right now they're at 40%, which is 15th in the league, 40% of their shots coming from three. And I mean, you just look at like tonight, the Clippers actually took exactly half of their shots from the three-point line. They took um, 37 threes and 37 twos. How many do you think they made of each? Uh, well, like half of their threes and a little bit less than half of their twos, right? They made, they made 18 of 37 from three and 17 of 37 from two. Wow. So when you factor in the fact that every three-point shot is worth, right, 1.5 times as many points as every two-point shot, the, the efficiency on possessions that are ending with threes is astronomically greater than the efficiency on possessions that are ending in twos. That doesn't mean you want to go away from shooting twos altogether. I mean, you, obviously, like I said before, getting to the rim is better than getting a three because, like, a 40% three-point shooter gives you 1.2 possession, 1.2 points on a possession, right? But uh, someone getting a dunk gives you two points on that possession. So you want to try to get the dunk. Um, but a lot of like, I don't know. I mean, I just think you, you look at their offense on the year, they're shooting 52s a game at 50%. So that's 50 possessions where they're getting one point per possession. And they're shooting 35 threes a game at 42%. So that's 35 possessions where they're right getting 1.26 points per possession. So again, the percentage increase between a 1.26 point possession and a one point possession is massive. That is way more efficient. When you when you broadcast that over a hundred possession game, right? That's the difference between scoring 126 points and hundred points. Now, obviously every team is going to have some type of healthy mix of threes or maybe unhealthy, but some kind of mix of threes and twos. And the Clippers are, are looking for a healthy mix, but they need more threes. Uh, they, you know, they just should not be 16th in the league in three point attempts per game. Uh, they really shouldn't be it's for a team that has so many great shooters. They, you know, they need to find shots that make sense. And like Luke Kennard, isn't taking enough threes. You know, you look up and down the Clippers roster who on the team is taking as many threes as you would want them to. Like right. maybe Patrick Beverly at four and a half a game, you know, Morris Batum, like these middle ground guys you're happy with, but Luke Kennard should be taking more threes. Kawhi Leonard should be taking more threes. Paul George should be taking more threes and the team as a whole should be taking more threes. I, the, the idea that like this team quote unquote living and dying at the three point line is a problem is totally, 
totally a misunderstanding of how offensive efficiency works. In fact, Shaf, here's what I'll say. The Clippers right now as a team are shooting, like I said, 42.4% from three. They will not shoot that well from three for an entire season. They won't. No one does. No one ever has. So what's going to happen is when that number ends up being 38% instead of 42%, their offense will get, will be less efficient than it is right now. And the best way for them to make up that difference so that they can maintain a high offensive efficiency over the course of the season is to shoot more threes because even at 38%, that three pointer is a significantly better shot than these mid range two pointers that they're taking. So though, you know, the way that they make up for the regression in three point shooting is going to have to be by increasing the volume uh, because right now they, they're just getting their best shot in too small of doses. All right, we're going to take one more, another quick break. Uh, we're not going to talk about threes versus twos too much more. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this game and then the James Harden trade after this. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, any Anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, we're back. You know, we were kind of talking about uh, the Clippers shots because really the box score, like I mentioned, is just kind of boring. Uh, did you want to highlight any Clippers in particular from this box score, uh, Lucas? I mean, I thought, you know, I don't, I don't think I was really displeased with anyone tonight. I mean, we talked briefly about Lou, you know, with dealing with the hip injury. This is like a, you know, I do my player grades after every game and this is like a no grade game for Lou. For me, like a guy picks up a late injury, tries to go in the first half, doesn't really do anything, doesn't play in the second half. So basically there's, there's eight Clippers tonight. Um, and I thought everyone did fine individually without anyone being great. And what I'll say is, the most significant guy of the Clippers eight for to have a fine night is Avica Zubats because Zoo has not had very many fine games so far this season. He has had a lot of dreadful, dreadful performances. And I thought he played well tonight. Uh, you know, nine points on three of three shooting three of four from the line. He got to the line, right. Which is important. He rolled on the pick and roll uh, and got to the line because kind of a big body coming downhill defenders don't really know what to do with him. He made a couple of really nice passes out of the short roll to find shooters in the weak side corner. And I think this is a big part of kind of what make like when the Clippers offense is popping versus not popping is when they're finding Batum or sorry, Batum sometimes is the role guy, but it's mostly Ibaka and Zubats when they're finding those centers on the short roll and a defender steps up to help. And 
Ibaka and Zhu either kick it to the far side corner or pivot and kick it to the near side corner, whoever is open. And I think that they've both been inconsistent in making those reads this season. I thought they both made those reads really, really well tonight. Zoo had Zoo his only actual assist where he had the direct pass leading to a made shot, yeah. uh, which is not to say it was his only good good pass because I thought he had other good passes. But his one actual assist was like a great really? 25 yeah. over the top skip pass yeah. to hit Paul George in stride for an open three. Yeah, I mean, you don't expect a guy like Zoo to be able to make that pass, frankly, and and that was a great great pass. So yeah, I thought he was really good. Um, you know, I, I think he got some criticism because Jackson Hayes had five offensive rebounds. Some of those came with Zoo on the floor. Some of them came with him off. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't put too much of that on Zoo. Uh, first of all, Hayes is just a good player, and he's an actor. Hayes, is, Hayes is really good. That dude is I, I really, really long really like and Jackson really Hayes. energetic. Yeah, he, he's I mean, a really nice player. I feel like every time that I watch the Pelicans, I'm like a little surprised by him to the point where it's like, this is like the seventh time that he's surprised me. I should probably not be surprised anymore, but he just comes in and he's, he's always bigger on the court than I think of him being like, he looks like he's seven two his, his, cause he's so skinny. His arms are so long and he's active. He makes a difference around the rim on both ends. I, I really like Jackson Hayes as a backup center. Yeah, me too. Um, and, but I, I thought, you know, the offensive rebounds that the Clippers gave up when zoo was on the floor, not that he was perfect, but a lot of it was just zoo helps on the drive and like Marcus Morris doesn't come over to box out Hayes. Right. And zoo can't like, you can't ask zoo to contest Nicole Alexander Walker's seven foot floater from the left side of the lane and box out Jackson Hayes under the rim on the right side of the lane. He cannot be in two places at the same time. That's not how, like it's physically impossible, right? This is so much of Zoo's critic. So much of the criticisms I see of Zoo are people that complain that he's not in two places at once. Like uh, again, in the playoffs against the Nuggets, where he the Clippers' scheme was for him to play drop coverage against Jamal Murray, and people complained that he wasn't closing out fast enough on the Nikola Jokic threes. Well, you're asking him to be in two places, twenty feet apart at the same time. He can't do that. Like maybe Kevin Garnett could like contain um you know contain murray and then get back to take away the Jokic shot but kevin you know zoo's not kevin garnett um you can't ask him to be in two places at once i thought he was pretty good in the one place that he was in for most of tonight yeah um, and i yeah he was good on both ends of the floor and you know the pelicans it, you don't want to gush over the second unit tonight no one individually had a great performance and it's worth noting while the Pelicans are missing three starters, that means that their, you know, their entire rotation suffers because they're shorthanded on the bench as well. And they, they made up for that a little bit right by starting Sindarius Thornwell, um, who normally isn't a rotation player for them to keep the bench a little bit stronger. But I mean, the Clippers bench, how often has it been the case this year that the starters are all plus 20 and the subs are all minus 20 and to get out of a night like tonight where the Clippers didn't play great, but played fine and look at the bench and see, you know, plus two, plus three, plus four, plus nine for those four guys is a really like just kind of a breath of fresh air because they didn't blow it. Um, and I think large part of that is due to Ty Lue playing better lineups. I mean, mixing these units together more, the Clippers never really have had a moment in the last two games where you feel like, Ooh, this is a shaky lineup. 
right? And I felt like in the first 10 games, there was a moment at least once in every game, normally once in every half, where you went, oh man, this is really sketchy territory for the Clippers because this is not, not a good lineup. And they've played good lineups for 48 minutes for two games in a row. And that's really exciting. Yeah, it's really nice to see Ty make that adjustment so quickly, even with Lou not playing, um, spreading the minutes so that we didn't have to. I mean, we haven't. I think there was a brief moment where Kennard and Lou closed the quarter, but that was pretty much it. Maybe that was like earlier in the game, uh, maybe in the third quarter or so. Um, but I saw that very briefly. I think it also happened last last game too. But uh, those minutes have been minimized. It's really, really refreshing. Um, you know, before we kind of move on from this game, any closing thoughts on this game, Lucas? It felt very ho-hum, honestly, watching it through. I wasn't too upset that they didn't blow out this, uh, you know, this uh, garbage crew. Not garbage crew, but uh, shorthanded crew uh, from the Pelicans. But I wasn't too mad. I mean, anything? any closing thoughts on this game? No, like I said, it was a really pedestrian game, like, Yes, on paper with those three starters out for New Orleans, you would expect the Clippers to win by like 20. But I mean, Lonzo Ball has like not had a great year and Eric Bledsoe is a you know solid player, but he's not anything amazing. Zion, of course, is, is amazing. But Nick Alexander-Walker like replaced that production. He had 37 points on 23 shots. So while the Pelicans were shorthanded, you know, normally it would be three other guys playing those minutes and getting those shots, and Nikola Alexander Walker would be playing like 15 minutes and getting six shots. So I, you know, he stepped up tonight in a huge, huge way, and that's what kept this game alive. It's what forced the Clippers to play in the fourth quarter, where it looked at halftime like if they had the right third quarter, they would get the fourth off. And he, Nikola Alexander Walker, I think was five of six in the third quarter and and kept them in it. So. Kudos to him. Kudos to the Pelicans for scrapping. I don't think that's something that you have to hold against the Clippers. Uh, it's just, you know, 72 game marathon season. Clippers got a win that, that they should have gotten. It doesn't really matter how it came. It would have been nice to get rest, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, we are going to put this game behind us and we're going to take a quick break and talk a little bit about the James Harden blockbuster and how it affects the Clippers. All right, and we're back. So James Harden was traded today after last game essentially saying that there was nothing that could be done to fix the Rockets in their situation and that he did all he could. It was pretty it was pretty crazy post-game presser from Harden. And uh just enough he got traded the next day. So the current the trade that that happened in total. So the Rockets um essentially get Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, uh Kuroks, Three Brooklyn first-rounders in 22, 24, and 26. A Milwaukee first, that 22 unprotected. Uh, four Brooklyn first-round swaps in 21, 23, 25, and 27. Yeesh. And the Nets get, of course, James Harden. The Pacers, who were kind of stealthily involved in this, like really well, got Karis LeVert and a second-rounder. Uh, the Cavs get uh, Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Uh, this was a Shams tweet I saw from a while ago. I don't know if anything changed from that, but that I think that's the full trade. Really, I mean, there's a lot to talk about this trade, not just from this trade, but the Rockets fallout. But for now, we can talk a little bit about what this trade means, uh, you know, especially out east and for the Rockets. So, you know, does this trade make the New Jersey, uh, New Jersey, the Brooklyn Nets, the uh, automatic favorite out East. And uh, what does it do for their title prospects, Lucas? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I mean, you know, the, the like 
video game reaction is like, oh my God, Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant on the same team, they're going to be unstoppable. Um, I, I would temper that a little bit. I think that, first of all, I mean, the big question mark here is Kyrie Irving because I have no what? idea. What is going on with Kyrie Irving? Again. I mean, he, Gosh. he uh, left the team. It was just for context for, for maybe Clippers fans who aren't, you know, don't stay up to date around the league, which is totally understandable. Um, Cause I don't stay up to date with anything in the NFL or MLB or, or anything, any of that, but it, it Kyrie Irving um, after like kind of the back-to-back Tuesday, Wednesday, last week of um, the officers who or the officer who shot Jacob Blake, not being charged. And then um, the riots at the Capitol building left the team for personal reasons without apparently a lot of communication uh, has been seen at a club for his sister's birthday party since then has also been seen in some zoom calls, like doing a lot of political work and organizing. And he's definitely a guy who's been really involved in like social justice campaigns in the past in his career. And so the question is kind of, has he, you know, been so disturbed by things that have been going on in recent weeks and recent months and his whole life and the, history of the United States, right? Has he been disturbed enough that he's like, man, I really don't want to play basketball right now. I want to be doing this other stuff. Um, And that appears to be the case. And then the question from a basketball perspective, from a Nets perspective is, well, when are you coming back from that? Uh, Because if Kyrie Irving's, you know, mindset is he can't really focus on basketball when there are more important things that he thinks he should be putting his time towards, that's noble, but this, that's not something where he's going to go away for two weeks and fix it. Right. Like um, these are, are deeply embedded issues in our, in our society, in our country uh, that have existed as long as our country have existed. And uh, the work is difficult and it's not something that, you know, maybe it's something that he needs to make more of a contribution. Maybe he just you know, in two weeks, he'll be in a better headspace to, to balance playing basketball and doing this kind of work. But just listening to Adrian Wojnarowski on SportsCenter after the Clippers game, right? He said there's real concern that Kyrie might not rejoin the Nets in the short term and in the long term. And so does that mean he might not come back this season? That seems possible based on reports that we've seen. Does that mean he might retire? That seems possible based on reports that we've seen. So, um, you know, it's, it's worth asking, really, are we talking about the Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant Nets? Or are we talking about the James Harden and Kevin Durant Nets? Because both of those teams are really, really good teams. Um, but I'm not convinced that, that Kyrie Irving is going to be someone that really – I'm not convinced that he's coming back this year. And uh, then the other wrinkle is the defense because – I just don't know, especially with Jared Allen gone, like DeAndre Jordan's the only big man left on that team. And he is not a good defender anymore. I know he was great with the Clippers and we love him, but he is not good anymore. And uh, James Harden is not a good defender. Kyrie Irving is more focused on offensive production than defense. Kevin Durant is, you know, has always been a great defender, but is now on the wrong side of 30 coming off an Achilles injury. I don't think he's as great as he once was. And I also don't think he's like a play with four negative defenders and make you a good defensive team type of guy. So they're going to have some issues. Uh, If all three of those guys are there, 
there's a there's a ceiling on offensive efficiency. You know, the more ball dominant superstars you put on the floor, there's a, a hard cap there in terms of eventually you're just trading possessions, right? And defensively, there's a real downside to how that roster is built. So yeah, I mean, I think that they're probably the most likely team to come out of the East. I think that was probably the case beforehand too. Um, you know, Milwaukee is definitely there. Boston is good, but maybe a half step behind Milwaukee. You know, we have to see what Giannis can do. Like if Giannis can really do more in the playoffs than what he's done in the past, but they're definitely in the mix. Uh, but I, I don't think that this necessarily makes me feel like Brooklyn is unbeatable, even if Kyrie Irving is still there. And I'm not sure that he will be. Yeah, it's pretty wild. All the Kyrie stuff is pretty wild. I like what Indiana did. I mean, getting Karis Avert, you know, Oladipo is a big expiring, but uh, Indiana has been notorious for kind of making sure that their salaries are in check. I think they got pretty team friendly, not just with Levert, but just looking up and down their roster, you know, a lot of manageable, tradable deals and, uh, and having Levert there now instead of the Oladipo question, which is going to hang over them all season, I thought that was a nice move that they did too. And I think Indiana, you know, might need to be taken seriously as, you know, a possible contender out East, you know, just with their, their general well-balanced lineup. Now, the fact that they've been able to figure out Turner and Sabonis a little bit. Um, and, you know, I love Brogdon. I, I love Levert. I just, I really like that team. So I, I'm really interested to see how Indy does the rest of the season. Um much thoughts on the Rockets. I mean, the Rockets got a huge expiring in an old depot who essentially will have an audition. Um, Exum, who I think just got hurt again recently. Uh, Kuruks felt like a bit of a throwaway and just a ton of, a ton of draft picks. I mean, is this, is this considering the circumstances a pretty good haul for them, Lucas? Yeah. I mean, the big thing for is the eight draft picks, right? Um, I mean, that's the, that's how the deal gets done. It's the same. Like this is how the Clippers got Paul George is how the Lakers got Anthony Davis. You just trade them every draft pick that you're legally allowed to trade uh, because you're never going to be able to get equal value for a player that is that good. And so you just get everything that you possibly can get. But I thought, I mean, the really interesting wrinkle here is the trade that we all thought was going to happen was going to be like Jared Allen and, Karis Levert and Torian Prince and all of the draft picks for James Harden. Um, and that would have, for me, really kind of, I would have written the Rockets off to be able, that they were able to, to figure out a way to work with Indiana to flip Levert um, for Victor Oladipo, which I understand from Indiana's perspective because Oladipo didn't want to be there anymore. He was in the last year of his deal. They were losing for nothing next summer. And Levert is a good player. He, I mean, Karis is good, and he's got three years left on his deal. If Rob was here, he would gush about his Michigan guy, right? But, right, right. But Victor Oladipo is substantially better than him. And for from that perspective, I hadn't seen um, – I mean, short of getting like Ben Simmons back from Philly, right? But in terms of a Brooklyn package, I hadn't seen a proposed trade that – gave me that that gave the Rockets as good of a player as Victor Oladipo because they were never going to send back Kyrie or Kevin Durant, right? And so to get Victor Oladipo in, I mean Victor he's that's a that's an all-star guard. Like that's that's not something, you know, that he's a big expiring on on a trial. Like you said, like this isn't a maximum contract player in his prime. And so 
that kind of I'm interested to see how they can kind of work him into the fold midseason, especially considering the health issues that he's had, um, how he fits with John Wall and Christian Wood. But I was ready to say if James Harden gets traded, you kind of write the Rockets out of the Western Conference playoff picture because they're not going to get enough talent back to stay afloat. But I mean, if John Wall keeps on looking like he can move after missing a couple of years with injuries and Victor Oladipo comes in and is what you would expect Victor Oladipo to be, they are still like right in the thick of things. I think in, you know, the six through eight range in the West. Yeah. Um, the Cavs also got Jared Allen, Torian Prince. I don't, a couple, uh, I don't know what they, so the Cavs gave up, who did the, what did the Cavs give up? The Cavs, this? I think Exum. the Cavs, um, yeah, they gave up Exum. Uh, they gave up a second round pick. The the yeah. big thing here for the Cavs, right, is that Jarrett Allen is a really, really good yeah, center. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's 22 years old, headed into restricted free agency next summer. And for them, for the, I mean, the Cavs are a really bad team. And they have two young guards that they've invested in, um, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, uh, affectionately known by Cavs fans as the Sexland backcourt. Um, Very good. Very and good. They, yeah, I mean, that Jared Allen is a great third building block for them. Frankly, I'm higher on Allen than I am on either of those guards. But he, he gives you someone where, like, right now they've got Andre Drummond playing center. They've got JaVale McGee playing center. Uh, Andre Drummond is still good. But those guys aren't like, yeah, we're the worst team in the league playing a bunch of, you know, 20-year-olds looking long-term. Like, Andre Drummond is, you know, a solid starter right now. And so and he's 28 or 29, right? So I think that they they get a nice building block and maybe it, it builds a bit of a roster log jam for them at center right now. But the guy who they brought in, Jared Allen, is the most important of those pieces. So that I don't it's not really a, a log jam that's an issue. Um, and the cost of that was eating the Torian Prince deal. Prince is a fine backup forward, but he's not really that good at, at anything. And he's making 14 million this year and 15 million next year. So Houston didn't want him. Houston now with the Oladipo expiring, uh, it's a you know they can't lose. Either they keep Oladipo on a max deal, which is great because he's a, like an all-star level player, or if Oladipo leaves and things don't work out, they're going to have upwards of 20 million dollars in cap room next year. Uh, so that's still good for them. Uh, you know, players want to play in Houston. Uh, Houston's the city that players want to live in. So that that is going to be, you know, they can use that cap room in like, you know, Charlotte has a much harder time using their cap room than Houston is going to. So yeah, I think the Rockets come out of this looking, looking good. Um, I think the Cavs come out of this looking good. I don't love it for the Pacers, but I understand why they felt like they had to do it. Uh, so I, I get it. And I think the Nets obviously get James Harden, which is what they want. So uh, it's a deal that kind of makes sense, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense for all four teams. Um, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how just the Nets will obviously be great, but how great is the question, right? Cause you can never take for granted that a team like you can pencil a great team in for 50 plus wins, but you can never just take for granted that a team is going to click well enough to get like 60 wins. So it's going to be interesting to see how they turn that out. Uh, is Houston going to be like a seven seed type team or like a 10th place type team? Um, and then, Indiana, I think, is a bottom half playoff team in the East that will lose in the first round, but be respectable. That's who they are. Um, and the Cavs are still rebuilding. So 
you know, everyone comes out of this, I think maybe not with a huge change in outcome, but feeling like they shuffled the deck chairs in a way that uh, helps their odds in the long term. Yeah, and we're going to take a quick break and talk a little bit about the fallout from this trade, as well as some closing thoughts after this quick break. All right, and we're back. So, I mean, it's worth talking about, you know, P.J. Tucker, who's been a common Clipper tie-in as far as, you know, somebody the Clippers might be interested in. Um, now that the Rockets, you know, they're not tanking. You know, they have Victor Oladipo, like you mentioned, and they still feel like they should be a playoff range type team with the talent on their team. Um, but now with them going in a different direction, and P.J. Tucker already not sounding the most happy to start the season, um, with all this stuff kind of going on. Is Tucker somebody that the Clippers should kind of look at a little bit more aggressively now that the Rockets are kind of reshuffling? I don't want to say, I don't want to dismiss PJ Tucker because I think PJ Tucker is really good. And I actually think he would really help this Clippers team. I think in a lot of the same ways that like a guy like Jamichael Green does, um, I Tucker is a better defender, not as good of a shooter. You know, there's trade-offs, but at the end of the day, with where the Clippers are with the hard cap, right? We've talked about this a bunch. You pretty much have to make cap neutral trades. And so to get in Tucker's just under $8 million, the two guys who you would really talk about in a trade for PJ Tucker are Lou Williams and Ivica Zubats. Lou Williams, it just doesn't, the Clippers roster would become unbalanced because you look at their rotation right now, Paul George, 6'8", plays the two and the three and the four for them. Kawhi Leonard, 6'8", plays the three and the four for them. Marcus Morris, 6'8", plays the three and the four for them. Nick Batum, 6'9", plays the three and the four for them. All of those guys are going to be really important pieces of your playoff rotation. So you bring in P.J. Tucker, who's a little, actually a little smaller but plays a little bigger, like 6'6", 6'7", plays power forward and center. And you ask, where is he really going to get his minutes? If you trade Lou Williams for him, the answer is his minutes would come at the expense of Marcus Morris, uh, the expense of Nick Batum. Kawhi and PG are going to play 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. And maybe you, it, he, he gives you a really nice small ball option in terms of using him as a small ball center um, or even playing like, like it would be fantastic to see them switch one through five playing like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, and PJ Tucker. That would be just so much fun uh, to watch that unit play defensively. But I think at the end of the day, ultimately what it makes you is it's just redundancy for the Clippers where Lou Williams gives them something that they aren't getting anywhere else in terms of uh, Rob talks about this all the time, right? He's the best passer on the team. He's the best pick and roll playmaker on the team. He can score 20 points on any given night. Uh, he had that one game. It was game four against Dallas, which the Clippers actually lost but he had like 30 plus points in that playoff right. game. Um, and even right. I've pointed this out a bunch of times, but in the nugget series where Lou could not hit a shot for his life, the Clippers won the minutes he was on the court by like 50 points because he's an offensive threat who will turn the corner and pick and roll, get downhill and create good looks for others. He's one of the few players on the Clippers who gets to the rim, gets to the free throw line and gets assists uh, going downhill. So, you know, you really miss him if you get take him off this team for, you know, a forward who doesn't create offensively. Patriot Tucker is like screens, corner threes, and defense. That's what he brings. And in terms of the guard rotation, Reggie Jackson would have to step up and be in the playoff rotation every single night um, 
for you to, you know, have a complete guard rotation, which isn't really something that you want. So you, you know, you're just adding a, a redundancy for and getting rid of something that you don't have a replacement for. And then the other way that you can go right is trade zoo for Tucker, um, which is probably actually a little bit more viable in my opinion, because you're buying into small ball at that point and Tucker playing like Tucker takes over Zubats's minutes, which gives him a much cleaner fit into your rotation. But again, at the end of the day, if you need a six, eight guy to defend forwards, the Clippers already have four really good guys in that mold. When you need a really big, strong seven footer to defend in the post, zoo is the Clippers best post defender and rim protector. And I know he hasn't been good through 10 games this season, but we've got a hundred games over the last two years of him starting for the Clippers and being a really good rim protector, like one of the better rim protectors in the NBA. So I just think, again, that's more viable to me in terms of the rotation because Tucker takes over those backup center minutes and it's a cleaner fit. But I still think overall you take away something like zoo brings a unique skill set to this Clippers team that no one else on the roster has. And you replace him with Tucker who is a better defender than Marcus Morris, but does a lot of the same type of stuff as Marcus Morris. And that to me isn't, isn't quite worth it. So I know there'll be a lot of chatter about, about PJ Tucker. Um, I personally think maybe, you know, maybe at the deadline, if zoo plays bad for 40 games, I'll weigh that more heavily than him playing bad for 10 games. But right now I'm just not ready to, um, to make either of those changes. I think they, in a vacuum, I get it. They make some sense, but on a whole, they, they don't work for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I like PJ Tucker, but yeah, I think he's somebody who would, who would, I don't want to replace him like Lou with him. I think it would, I think the Clippers would suffer for that. But if there was like a multi uh, trade, a multi team deal where many pieces were moving and then PJ Tucker ended up on the Clippers and we would still have a decent guard rotation, then I'd be happy. I definitely don't think Reggie Jackson is ready to play Lou Williams minutes. And I don't think any Clipper fan really would want that to happen. Um, I think we're approaching the end of the pod. There are a couple of games that we're going to be seeing this weekend, which you can probably touch on. The Clippers are going to be playing in Sacramento against the Kings on Friday. And then on Sunday, the Pacers, the new look Pacers are going to be playing in LA. Um, what do you think about those two games, Lucas? you think those are a couple of wins? Do you think they split? What do you think? I think the Clippers should win both of these games. Um, I actually think that here's my hot take Shep. I think the Clippers might be more likely to lose the Sacramento game than the Indiana game. Uh, the Kings have the, the Pacers are a better team than the Kings. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying, but the, the Kings have some good wins this year. I think they've beaten Denver twice. They've beaten Phoenix. They've beaten um, right, Utah right. and they have just like, they have an explosive offense. You know, they're so fast. The Clippers are really slow. The Clippers don't run very much. The Kings run a lot. De'Aaron Fox is like the fastest player in basketball. He is electric. Tyrese Halliburton, you, we talked about this, I think, um, on Sunday's pod with Rob. So yeah. I, won't, mm-hmm. I won't beat on it too hard, but Tyrese Halliburton has had a great rookie year. Um, I mean, the Kings, here's what the Kings do. Uh, I think Tom Ziller, who used to be King specific, but has written about the NBA at large for years now, um, said tonight that the Kings are extremely aggressive offensively and do not defend at all. So uh, whenever you have a team like that, 
they can beat you on any given night. This, this was like the Dallas Mavericks last year, although the Mavs were, were, were better all around than the Kings, where when you have that high powered of an offense, like when you catch that hot night, there's not a lot that teams can do. The Kings have a, have a really aggressive high powered offense. Um, again, not as good as the Mavs last year, but that's a, that's a really losable game. Like they play the Kings twice in the next week. And those are, those are not pushover games by any means. The Pacers, uh, we talked about a little bit because they were involved in this James Harden multi-team trade. Pacers are a really solid all-around team. Uh, they've always been good defensively, but they've been a lot better offensively this year because they've, uh, I know you told me not to talk about it anymore. They stopped taking mid-range jump shots this season. Uh, they're taking more threes. Their offense is way better than it has been um, under new coaching. And, but uh, the reason why I am maybe co- like low on their chances to beat the Clippers on Sunday. And this is, you know, knowing that the Clippers find a way to lose games that they have no business losing. But I talked to my buddy, Tony East, who um, covers the Pacers. And he was just saying like, they're on a long West coast road trip. This Clippers game is the last game of the road trip for them before they get to go home. It is their fifth game in seven nights. It is the second night of a back-to-back. It's just one of those games over the course of an NBA season where you have like normally one or two games or or two or three games that just kind of are schedule losses. And he's like, this is a schedule loss for the Pacers. When you've been away from home for 11 days uh, and you know that tonight after this game, you're going to get to get on a plane and go sleep in your own bed. It is really hard to play well in that game. Uh, Fifth game in seven nights. It is really hard to play well that game when you don't have your legs underneath you. So, you know, I'm not counting them out, um, especially because these Clippers like to lose games in weird fashion. But I wouldn't be surprised if that game was less competitive than the Pacers' overall quality would lead you to believe. Yeah, I think I think a schedule loss for the Pacers. Not that not that they would maybe win, all things considered equal. But I like the Pacers. I'm kind of high on the Pacers in general this season. Uh, but I think the Clippers hopefully should go two and zero these next couple of games. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Jam, the podcast. Um, lots of things going on in the NBA today, including a Clipper win and a blockbuster trade. Um, of course, leave us a nice review on whatever you list us to. Five stars really helps. And as always, go Clippers! <laughs>